TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Now, from Wichita's most listened to sports radio, 97.5 and 1240 KFH, this is Sports Daily with Jacob Albrocht and Tommy Kester. All right, welcome in, everybody. Happy Wednesday to you here on Sports Daily. It is Jacob Albrocht and Tommy Castor, Jad Chambers producing for us. A lot to get to today. Uh, Very interesting news as the Chiefs uh, continue to try to attack free agency here. Uh, The latest there on one of the key pieces that they're looking at. We'll get through that. We'll get through a very disappointing night for KU basketball Uh, that ended up being maybe the most disappointing overall for K-State, who didn't even play. I'll explain that uh, as well as we make our way through. Uh, We should be having Kevin Saul, Wichita State's athletic director, in for his biweekly visit. Uh, If that's still on the table, we'll have it at the top of the hour. We'll check in uh, in just a little bit and make sure that's still on the table. We're pretty sure it is. Um, Glad to be here with you, everybody. We've got giveaways to get to today. All kinds of good stuff coming for you. Tommy, how are you this morning? Hey, I'm good. A lot to get to today, as you mentioned. Obviously, uh, you know the off-season news with the Chiefs that we heard about yesterday that we're going to want to get into today. Uh, and then, of course, yeah, like you mentioned, college basketball in the in the thick of the home stretch of conference play. Uh, disappointing game last night for KU. I know we're going to talk about all of it. Before we do that, a quick you know uh, prayer out, thoughts out to the Texas Panhandle. That's up into. You know, the Oklahoma panhandle to some degree getting dangerously close to southwest Kansas. I know uh, a lot of people, especially if you grew up out in western Kansas, you know, have ties to that area. It's on fire. A lot of houses have been destroyed. A lot of livestock affected. A lot of land affected. So uh, that's obviously my home base and where I'm from. So, you know, uh, quick prayers out to that region. And hopefully everybody, if you've got family, friends, or anybody affected, Everybody's doing okay here this morning. Just a wild, wild night of fires there. I can't imagine the fires being fueled by the winds that made us drop from 80 to 30 in a matter of hours yesterday. Uh, so pretty pretty crazy there uh, to see that yesterday. Hey, I want to jump in really quick. I know that um, we're going to get going talking about uh, Chiefs offseason moves. There is some breaking news that just came out four minutes ago. According to Jeremy Fowler from ESPN, the Chiefs are releasing wide receiver Marquez Valdez-Scaling. It's going to save them $12 million on the cap. 
Uh, so that, uh, that literally came down five minutes ago uh, that MVS will no longer be part of the Kansas City Chiefs. So hang, hang on that because we're going to start with KU. We'll get into the Chiefs and what they're doing uh, in just a little bit. Uh, so, so hang on that. We've got the Legeria Sneed news yesterday, uh, and we've got Marquez Valdez-Scantling news today. One of those does not surprise us. One of those does surprise me to some degree. But let's start with KU, Tommy. Um, you know, something happening last night that just almost never happens. One, they lose at home in general. Two, they lose a second-half lead at home. Uh, in, you know, of the Bill Self era, one of the one of the worst home losses, honestly, that they've ever had. BYU's not bad at all. It's just KU typically doesn't do that last night. Um, it comes as we have no certainty whatsoever with Kevin McCullers, you know, future and ability to play, you know, at all, really, the rest of the way as we wait and see how that all plays out. Uh, but, you know, BYU comes back in the second half. They hit a ton of threes like we know that they can. KU got nothing going really offensively all night long. Um, just, you know, 68 points at home is pretty wild to imagine. And and they fall to BYU. And this is as vulnerable a KU team without Kevin McCuller, Tommy, as, I mean, we can remember in most years, you know, of the Bill Self era as we make our way to the most important part of the season. Yeah, as good as they were on Saturday against Texas without McCuller, uh, it was the exact opposite last night against BYU. Uh, you know, the, the Jayhawks in the first half, I felt like they came out of the gate strong, but it was, you know, the same sort of thing that I think that everybody's been concerned about with the lack of depth on this team, them being able to play a full 40 minutes with just primarily their starters. And, you know, a few bench minutes from some guys that, you know, I'm not sure at this point really, you know, have the capability of playing long stretches off the bench, but they kind of had to, you know, Parker Brown and Jamari McDowell, Elmarco Jackson, those guys forced into playing, I would say probably five or six more minutes than what Bill Self would be comfortable in them playing. Uh, They had anywhere between 11 and 13 minutes last night. And I think that that's a few more than what Bill Self would like them to play. Uh, But you don't have Kevin McCuller, so you're that much thinner uh, and you've got to kind of go to those guys a little bit more than what you would like. Really, at the end of the day for the Jayhawks, the the defense, uh, the way that they and, – and we knew this going in because BYU shoots a ton of threes in the second half. Some of the adjustments that BYU made as far as getting open looks from long distance, those were more effective in the second half than in the first half. And that really doomed KU, uh, and it got to the point to where the shots were falling for BYU. They were able to pull away, and you know it was it was close down the stretch. But in that scenario, there just really wasn't the Jayhawks didn't really have an answer for what BYU wanted to do offensively. I mean, we knew what BYU wanted to do offensively: shoot a billion threes. That's how you know. That's how this thing goes, Tommy. And, and and Mike brings up a good point on our video stream, which, by the way, you can always find on Facebook, on YouTube, and on Twitch. This has gone from potentially being one of the best teams ever now to one of the most vulnerable we've ever seen going into the tournament. It has been a wild swing. And again, everything is relative, right? There are a lot of programs in the country that feel great right now, uh, knowing you're going to get probably a two or three seed uh, going into the tournament. But we don't feel that way about KU because the standard is so high. And I think a part of it, too, is that expectation. We had a a lineup that consisted of 80% potential All-Americans 
with a couple of blue chipper freshmen and a and a transfer portal guy that seemed to fit such a clear need for this team, and it just hasn't clicked this year. Yeah, that's a big part of it, and I know that you know you can point at individual statistics. It doesn't help when Hunter Dickinson is six of fifteen shooting free throws. That's not going to get it done. Uh, but it's not just on Dickinson, and I think that that's. I saw a lot of discussion on social media last night after the game about his lack of free throw shooting. And, you know, I saw people that were saying, you know, Hunter Dickinson cost us the game, you know, blah, 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 blah. Where would this team be without Hunter Dickinson? You know, had they not landed him in the offseason in the transfer portal, this team would be terrible right now, you know? So I'm not going to, I'm not going to, but I think criticism is okay. I mean, he's a lot of Hunter Dickinson. I mean, he's got, especially with McCuller out, he's the primary focus. And, you know, so if you're, if you're not going to have, Dewan Harris be an efficient uh, and effective offensive player. I mean, he's great passing and facilitating and defensively and all of that. But if he's not going to be a scorer, you can't really rely on him. K.J. Adams is a great energy guy, but his offensive abilities, I think, are limited to, you know, really kind of inside the circle. Really, you know, Johnny Furphy's going to shoot some threes, but everybody knows, and especially the opponents know, that Hunter Dickinson is going to be the guy offensively. So if you can't lean on him, this team is lost. And so I'm not going to pin this game on his lack of free throw shooting because without him in general, this team would be sunk. Yeah. Look, I think it is totally fair to criticize Hunter Dickinson based on expectations coming in, probably the NIL deal he struck. Like, I think it's fair to criticize. I mean, you cannot have that guy go 6 of 15 from the free throw line. When we saw that guy ahead of the conference, I think shooting at like an 85% clip from the free throw line, that's a disappointment. I think that's totally fair. He is critical to any success they're going to have, and he's been great this year. That's I think both of those things can coexist. I would tell you this, and it pains me to say it. I hate saying it. Dwan Harris is one of my favorite players of all time because he's built like I am, right? Like watching him play basketball – I enjoy it thoroughly. He has not been what we expected of him either. Six assists and four turnovers last night. You know, only two threes attempted. Like, Dewan Harris needs to shoulder probably the majority of this to me. Now, I, because I don't know that, like, and again, one of my favorite all-time, all-time players, college basketball players, but... Can we sit here today and say that he's better than he was a year ago? I don't think that we can. I don't think he has been. I think he's taken a step back this year almost. Is that unfair? I mean, that's really hurting this team. I don't I don't know if I'm ready to say that he's taken a step back. Maybe a lateral I I agree step. With that. I, I don't I know. I think he's leveled off. I don't think he's taken a step forward in the way that we typically see. I mean, think of the number of players in the Bill Self era that have taken massive leaps forward from their second year to third year or their third year to fourth year. It happens all the time. It happened with Ochai Baji. It happened with Jalen Wilson. It's happening with Kevin Kevin McCuller. It's not happening with Dewan Harris in that regard. It doesn't mean that, you know, he's he's not an effective player overall because he is. No, that's and And he was last year and he is this year. But I think the expectation of okay, he's another year into the system. He's a veteran. And I think that what we've wanted from him is to take games over from that position. And that's not what he's doing. And, and no, 
I don't even expect that, but he had he had four turnovers to six but, assists at but, home last okay, night. Okay, so think about other think about other primary point guards in the last seven or eight years under Bill Self and their ability to take games over. Look at Devon Dotson. He took games over offensively. Frank Mason took games over offensively. Devontae Graham took games over offensively. When they were the facilitators, when they were the floor generals, you didn't know what they were going to do. They might pass it off or they might shoot it, and they were effective either way. Dewan Harris, I think, is a little bit more predictable because you, he's not going to take a game over offensively. He might facilitate it in a great way. He might find Hunter Dickinson in the post or might get it to Johnny Furphy you know, on the outside or whatever, and it might look really great doing it. He found Nick Timberlake on Saturday for an incredible lob. I mean, his facilitating is off the charts great, but I think that everybody expects him to be this guy offensively to score the way that some of those past point guards have done under Bill Self. That, that hasn't really been his game. So turnovers are up this year. Assists are are essentially level. Steals are down. Points are down. I, I just, I think if we're, I, I don't know. Again, I love Dwan Harris, but, you know, he's a, even this year, he's almost a 40% three-point shooter. Like, at some point, I know that's not his game, but it's what this team needs so desperately. You You have to, you have to do it. And look, I don't want to be unfair to him either. Again, one of my all-time favorite players. It's just like, I, I think when more of him has been needed, as it clearly has this year, look, Bill Self, at one point in the year, was trying to push that and then backed off and said, we need to just let him be what he is. So, I mean, take that for what it's worth, too. Well, you, you're okay but with if, that when you've got a healthy Kevin McCuller. It's a little exactly, bit more different when you're right losing now, that offensive they need, weapon. They need him to at least try to do it and he's just so hesitant to do it for whatever reason fine if we're looking at I mean I think you could essentially look across the board so if if we're trying to power rank like who's been the most disappointing based on expectations I think Nick Timberlake certainly jumps to the top of that list right but I think as we look at it now you know you can pretty much collectively go across the board the freshman are not where we hoped they would be, right? Johnny Furphy's probably ahead of schedule. So I, when I say the freshman, I'm talking about the two others. And, and, and you know, at the moment, I think Dewan Harris is not doing what we'd hoped he would be doing. And Hunter Dickinson, maybe all of them. And, and maybe this is the good point, and Ken, Ken points this out, um, basically saying, you're right, Tommy, that, that everybody's tired. When it's a collective effort like this, probably – it is a symptom, right, of just being absolutely gassed. And when you don't have any depth, then, you know, then that's, that's probably a bigger symptom of that than anything else. And, and so, like, who can press? Like, can this team be pressed to do things outside of its comfort zone? I don't know, but they're probably going to have to be because it's certainly not promising on Kevin McCuller news lately, right? We just don't even know if he'll play now. So can any of these players step up out of that comfort zone, perhaps, and provide something else that's not there now? That's what we have now three games remaining and a, and a conference tournament to try to find out. The reality is it may be too much to ask of, of this team, and that's just the way it is. I mean, when you're and and is that okay? Yeah, probably. When you're looking at a team that, you know, in the most important games doesn't have its best player, 
you know, that that player you mentioned who steps up is KU always has somebody in the Naismith conversation. That's McCuller this year. He's as good a two-way player as college basketball has. When you don't have him and you were thin already, I, I mean, you just throw your hands up and hope for the best. I, I, I think, you know, anything that happens will be – I just don't think the expectations are very high. What From what I gauge among KU people, the expectations are – are not high at all right now for what this team can do in the postseason. And that's the most concerning part of all of this. It's not about how effective Dewan Harris is. It's about the lack of having Kevin McCuller. And will they get Kevin McCuller back? And I that's concerning to me. The way that this has all played out in the last week or two about his availability, about his health, because it doesn't sound like, just in the way that Bill Self has spoken, this this doesn't sound like just a potential regular season type thing. This sounds like no. they could be without him potentially for the rest of the season. It sounds like there's a chance we've seen Kevin McCullough play his last college yeah. basketball game. And, and that was yeah. not the situation that I thought it was going to be as recently as Monday, maybe, when we were talking to Shreya Lada. I didn't think that that was going to be the scenario uh, that was in place. And keep in mind, McCullough was out for, I think, what, two games or three games, and then came back and played against Oklahoma I think he scored like 20 points in that return game. That was the only time we saw him back, and then he's been out ever since. And so, you know, you've got a stretch now with the remaining regular season games where, yeah, the the Big 12 regular season title is out of the question at this point. But you can definitely – your seeding can be impacted for the final three regular season games and then into the Big 12 tournament without having Kevin McCuller. And it might just be a situation where they put him on ice until – March Madness, and maybe he'll be ready to go at that point to help them down the stretch. Remember, this is not entirely dissimilar to the Remy Martin situation a couple of years ago that the Jayhawks had. Because Remy Martin was dealing with an injury that at one point in the regular season, there was speculation that he wouldn't play another game for KU. He was able to come back in in a limited capacity, but was ready to go for March Madness and led the Jayhawks to a national championship. It's not entirely dissimilar from that. There are some differences, but this sort of thing has happened in general terms before for the Jayhawks. So I I wonder what the status will look like for McCuller once we get into March. The other reality is Remy Martin was not a big-time NBA prospect, as Kevin McCuller has become. And and I'm not trying to speculate anything by saying that I'm just saying that's a part of the equation that's different too there's a lot on the line for Kevin McCuller Kevin McCuller has to be very careful right now not to jeopardize his entire future and I don't have any indication whatsoever from anything I've ever heard from him like if he can safely go for KU he would do it right But there is more to consider than the next five games of college basketball or six or seven or whatever it might be that he's got to because he has he's leaped up on NBA draft boards. And that's a part of the equation, too. And it's a fair part of the equation and probably one that Bill Self genuinely appreciates for him, too. I don't think anybody, Kevin McCuller, Bill Self, anybody's going to put him in a bad position, which is why it's like we'll just kind of have to see how this goes. Um, The rest of this season. Um, it will be interesting. It's almost, you know, it's almost like a house money situation a little bit with KU, which isn't always the case with KU teams. A little bit that way last year, maybe, but not like this. I'll tell you who the who really lost last night, who had the worst night last night. It's K State, Tommy. So we've laid out, you know, K State's path and what they'll need to do. 
two of the teams that they're sort of going to compete. And, and you know, they're not competing with BYU as far as a tournament bid, but they're competing with BYU in the sense of trying to improve your Big 12 standing. That really, really hurt. Even more than that, though, is Texas going on the road and, and beating Tech by double digits. Texas is a team they may be competing with uh, for an NCAA tournament bid. And that's a that's a tough one to swallow if you're K-State. Texas, with that win, I would say if Texas was a team perhaps they could catch in, in like tournament resume, it's not going to be anymore. So, you know, outside of outside of beating both Iowa State and KU on the road, maybe. Um, but that, that was a tough night for K-State collectively last night to see what else happened in the Big 12. Well, the night before, very uh, nearly ended in disaster. I know you and Paul talked about it yesterday, but... The fact that they blew that lead against West Virginia, it's a good thing that K-State team and, and Jerome Tang is elite in overtime because that's really yeah, what saved like them. The best, like, legitimate but, stake at the best ever yeah, in they, overtime. They've got to have every single regular season game the rest of the way. They, I think they just have to, um, you know, especially with what happened last night. I think you've got to, you've got to have that uh, for the Wildcats and then, you know, have a good showing in the Big 12 tournament too. I don't think they're... I don't think their national championship tournament bids are bid is gone, but I think that they're they're going to have to really perform. No, down it's the not. Yeah, it's not gone. It just got harder. Yeah, because you know you you hoped that you could compete with Texas there, and probably now I don't know that you'll be able to. So that crosses one of them off the list. It does emphasize something we point since they got to have the game at Cincinnati. Got to have it. Have to have that game. All right. Uh, let's take a break. So a lot of Chiefs things happening now, and it's going to take us a little time to sort of navigate through what's happening and trying to read between the lines and do all these things. We'll do that next on Sports Daily. KFH and Taco Bell have your chance to win a trip for two to the College Hoops Championship Tournament in Kansas City. That's March 13th through the 16th to cheer on all your favorite teams. This trip includes two all-session tournament passes and three-night hotel accommodations. To enter, simply text TBBIG to the number 20357. Want a complimentary breakfast burrito? Go to kfhradio.com, click on the events page, download the voucher, and then head to any Wichita and surrounding Taco Bell locations, excluding Hutchinson. Your chance to see the College Hoops Championship Tournament and snag a complimentary breakfast burrito from Taco Bell happens here on KFH. Welcome back into Sports Daily, everybody. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Castor here with you. Jad Chambers, man in that KFH hotline, 869-1240. Getting our coffee going. Tommy and Jad in there in studio enjoying that great coffee from Prairie Fire. We appreciate their support of our entire Odyssey family. Tommy, it has been an interesting, I don't know, 16 hours or so for the Chiefs. Jeremy Fowler uh, on on things right now. Clearly a, a line of communication. So yesterday, Jeremy Fowler reported that essentially the Chiefs are prepared to use their franchise tag on Legereus Sneed and are open to the idea of then trading him. They'll still work on a long-term deal. Sneed, according to the report, is totally fine with that process. Um so there's that. It follows Andy Reid when asked about the tag. Kind of, it was interesting with a response somewhat to the effect of, we're going to use the tag to help us, right? So I, it, it all of that tells me the Chiefs are probably trading LeJarius Sneed. 
Then today we get the report on something we fully expected, and that's that the Chiefs are going to release Marquez Valdez-Scantling. That'll save them $12 million on the cap to do it. Um, You know, he made some big plays for him down the stretch. Kind of a no-brainer, though, uh, financially, when you think about all the things that they have to do. So there are those two things, both big developments and both sort of, I think, telling us the direction this thing could be heading. I I think the MBS news far less impactful than the Sneed news, which, again, to me, when I read all that, it tells me they're going to trade Legereus Sneed. There are a few different angles to look at with this Legereus Sneed news. I think number one is what can the Chiefs get in return for Legereus Sneed if they tag him and then trade him? I think they've got to really look at potential trade partners and what that value in return will be for Kansas City. They've done this before. They tagged D Ford in 2019, and then they turned around and traded him to the 49ers, and they were able to get some draft capital back. So they've done this sort of thing before, and, and teams do this um, you know, fairly regularly. Devontae Adams, it happened to him. Sure. Uh, there, there are other players that this has happened to. But I think for Kansas City and for Brett Veach, uh, you know, really his motivation has always been loading up on draft picks, having strong draft capital. So you've got young, talented players under team control at a fairly affordable price for a long time. That's really been the strategy for Brett. I mean, Beach. they've traded a lot of draft picks, too, though. I, I think but he's the always draft is open to improving yeah. the draft position. And that, that that would definitely be something that, you know, they might look at doing it and really. I don't know if they would be 100% willing to look at this, but if I were them, I wouldn't shy away from the potential of trading Legereus Sneed and the first-round draft pick that you have, pick number 32, to get a better first-round draft pick in return. And maybe you're moving up 10 spots, 15 spots, and you're going to need some other draft capital in addition to just that that first-round pick. But you could use that as ammunition if you like somebody on the board. You know, maybe it's um, just throwing it out there. If they want to go wide receiver in the first round and they really like Roma Dunze out of Washington, if he's available at number 12 or number 15, you could potentially use a trade of Legereus Sneed and your first-round draft pick to try to accomplish that. I'm not saying it's likely, but that could be something they do. I think if they did that, it would be probably for an established wide receiver. I think they would be more likely to do it for a left tackle to finally solve that. Um, It's interesting. There are a lot of things to it. Legereus needs a really good player. The combination of he and McDuffie is important to the defense. On the flip side, the Chiefs have a really good recent history of identifying and developing corners in the draft. So... They it, it tells me, A, that they might value McDuffie more. I've always been curious if they would invest the money in both of those guys that it would take to keep them both. That would be an interesting strategy. Probably they're willing to just wait to get a McDuffie deal done and ride him on his rookie deal. That, that I think, is is probably what this all says. And then, yeah, so, okay— if you're not going to sign Snead, and we've and and they've done this a billion times, Tyreek Hill, right? Uh, they let Tyreek go in a similar type situation. They may still go attack corner in free agency, right? That's what happened with Tyron Matthew and Justin Reed. They ended up paying Justin Reed more than they were going to pay Tyreek Hill. I mean uh, Tyron Matthew. So 
there is there's a million options. I think at the at the front of it though, this probably tells us they're comfortable with letting Snead go because they think they can get him replaced or at least get closer to it. But my question is rather than who? Is it Chris Jones mm-hmm. in the short term? Is he the rather than? Is it left tackle? Is it wide receiver? I I don't I just don't think it's gonna be wide receiver. I think when you look at that room now versus last year, Rashi Rice is great. He is at least uh, looking like the potential of above average floor and legitimate number one receiver ceiling. You can't, just because it doesn't make sense to yet give up on the two guys you've spent lots of draft capital on and Kadarius Tony and Sky Moore. There's no need to give up on them. They're not costing you anything. So just knowing those things and knowing that Kelsey's coming back, there's a good chance the receiver room, no matter what they do, will be better next year. So how much better do they need to make it? Is that through a veteran wide receiver? Do they try again in the draft? I I don't think they're going to try again in the draft. They have used a lot of capital in the draft to try to get wide receiver. They got there with Rice. I think it's more likely they replace Marquez Valdez-Scantling with another guy like Marquez Valdez-Scantling, another veteran receiver that they like a Juju Smith-Schuster. I think it's more likely they go there than they go big ticket either through free agency or draft capital on wide receiver. I think it's more likely that they attack other areas. To me, most likely, I I would say left tackle. I, I think that Outside of getting deals done early for Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith or whatever, and maybe that's done too, I, I think they're going to be the most aggressive with left tackle. I don't think they need to be with wide receiver. I don't think that they are going to be now based on what we've seen at corner. So you've got Chris Jones and you've got left tackle to me as these two pressing needs. Maybe you lean into Jones and you go super aggressive and try to stop swinging at that left tackle and get something solidified for the next four or five years for Patrick Mahomes on the blind side. But keep in mind, it's not a foregone conclusion that Legereus Sneed is gone. I mean, they could conceivably sign him to a long-term deal. Is it likely? Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't, because the thing is, is Legereus Sneed is going to garner a significant amount of value, right? Whenever he ends up, you know, I, I, if he becomes a free agent on the market after next season, or whatever that looks like, there are going to be teams that they saw what he did against number one receivers in the NFL this past season against guys like Justin Jefferson and Tyreek Hill and Puka Nakua and you know others throughout the season, saw what he did against them, and they're going to want to bring him on board. So he's going to get value. It's just going to be a matter of whether or not the Chiefs feel like they can spend that kind of money when they've got you know Trent McDuffie opposite of Legereus Sneed. The other thing, though, and the reason why I would be, I would understand, but I would be bummed if they end up trading Legereus Sneed is because that secondary, as we've talked about so many different times, was better than good. They were better than great. They were elite. They were an elite secondary. And if it wasn't collectively, if it wasn't for that secondary, I don't think the Chiefs win the Super Bowl this year. And so, you know, I would hate to break that up. I get it. I understand. You know, the value of it and the fact that, keep in mind, Snead is entering his uh, 27, his year 27. You know, he's in that prime, in that position to cash in on that. And so 
I just, we, you know, we know the way that the Chiefs front office typically operates. I think it's unlikely that they sign him to a long-term deal. I would love it if they did. Uh, and it may still happen. I just, I think it's unlikely. Yeah, well, listen, you don't leak the information to Jeremy Fowler that you did yesterday if you planned on signing Legereus Sneed to a long-term deal. He did, report, like, he did report that both sides are, are open yeah. to working out a long-term deal. No, I, I, I get that, but they're not, or you wouldn't need to leak this out in the first place if you were the Chiefs. You leak this out because you want everybody to know that Legereus Sneed's available. Um, I mean, it, it's unless not... you're looking for leverage in negotiations to try to get him to take a little bit less. <laughs> but money. what? Neg- but that doesn't that doesn't create any leverage, right? That doesn't create any leverage. It creates leverage for other teams. It creates leverage in trade value for the Chiefs. It doesn't create negotiation leverage to say that you know to to have that report come out and to say Legarius Sneed's totally open to this. That that creates a situation where Legarius Sneed can you know drive up his his value to other teams because. If you're the other team trading for him, you're not trading for him on a tag. You will have a long-term deal worked out. It's a Tyreek Hill situation. Legereus Sneed wants more than the Chiefs want to give him. So they did the same thing with Tyreek Hill. They look it out there. Hey, Tyreek Hill's probably available. You know, we we want Boom. Done. I mean, it's it's the same thing. It's like a cookie-cutter approach for them. Leak this stuff out. Everything's amicable. This is what they did with Hill. Everything's good here. We want what's best for everybody. You know, he's available. It's the same thing. They, I mean, I, so that's when, when I say it, when, when I read between the lines, like, I think they're telling us he's going to get traded. It's mm-hmm. just remember how Tyreek Hill played out. And here, here's the interesting scenario, too, that I think we need to always keep in mind as this is progressing. If they end up trading away Legereus Sneed and if they're able to get a deal done, with Chris Jones, think about how this whole situation would probably be reversed and flip-flopped if the Chiefs didn't get Chris Jones back on a one-year deal last year. Because at that point, Jones is probably walking. There, you know, there are going to be opportunities more than likely for him to go elsewhere. Then they've got probably more cap space to maybe negotiate with Legarius Sneed to lock up that secondary long-term. But because of the way that things played out with Chris Jones and him coming back on that one-year deal, and now it sounds like there's positive momentum in locking him in for a while, that does take up you know a certain amount of money that they're then not going to be able to give to a guy like Legarius Sneed. So I think had things played s- out differently a year ago, we might not be in this situation. I'm not y- saying it's yeah. a bad thing, but they might have had the cap room to then be able to go and get Legarius Sneed uh, signed long-term. Maybe. I've, I've always thought the Chris Jones situation last year was compromising the ability to sign offensive linemen, mostly because, again, Humphrey, Smith, like the Chiefs, the Chiefs tell us things without telling us things over and over and over again. They have like they have this path and this plan that if you just follow it, it, it sort of repeats itself. The way that this report comes out yesterday and their history of being willing to do this with other players, right? I'm sure that somewhere along the line, if we went back and looked, there would have been something similar out there with Chris Jones last year. Like if they don't think they can get somebody signed where they want to, this is how they approach it. It's good for the player, but mostly it's good for them, right? When they know the answer to the question, are we going to be able to afford Legereus Sneed based on what he wants? Nope. We can tell you that right now. So let's take this path 
to try and get the best situation for everybody. They do it all the time. They also tell us that they really value the offensive line, and that's where they're going to spend the most resources. So if they trade him and they move him, what do you think is an appropriate return for Legereus Sneed? Are you looking at draft second capital? Second round pick, probably. Are you looking yeah, at probably a an second, established player? A what second and at? a fourth. Second and a fourth. Somebody asked me about A.J. Brown yesterday. Um, I, I don't... I don't think I like that. I think you I think draft capital would be great. I don't think teams are trading left tackles. I think if you're trading if you're getting a wide receiver in a trade, it's an expensive one, which doesn't make sense for the Chiefs. So my guess is draft capital. Um and, and it depends because a bad team isn't gonna necessarily trade for Legereus Sneed. So yeah, probably like a second and a fourth or something, as you mentioned for them to help move around in the draft or then turn around and go attack. They're not afraid to trade for left tackles. They've they've traded for tackles in two out of the last three off seasons. I, I think I think the cap how the capital's used I don't know, but I would guess draft capital for now. That would be my my like a second and a fourth or something um, would be enough. Because the reality is he's just gonna walk in free agency. That's the other thing the Chiefs do a great job of. Not just losing players to free agency and getting nothing out of it. It's a masterclass sometimes the way they do this. They could just let Legereus Sneed walk. Instead, they're going to try and get something for him when they know he's not going to come back anyway. That's what this is to me. We'll see how they use it. It's a great, great question. We'll get more into that. And a question my colleague Brandon Zinner asked me yesterday. I'll, I'll let you stew on this during the break. How many times or... or like, can you think of good examples of the times the Chiefs have let players go that have really blown up in their face where those players go on to be awesome? Mm. Think about that for a minute. Good Stew question. on it. Because it's an interesting one. And, and just of the recent era, right? Like, just in recent history, sort of this regime. We'll come back. We'll talk about it next on Sports Daily. Welcome back in, everybody. Sports Daily. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Caster with you here on the program. Shockerman's basketball broadcasts are available live for free on 103.7 KEYN and on the Odyssey app. Tune in to KEYN tonight for Shocker Basketball at UAB or simply download the Odyssey app and search for KEYN. Pre-game starts at 6. Uh, we are hoping to be able to track down Kevin Saul, which does did athletic director at the top of the hour. Uh, as we make our way into the home stretch of the Shocker season. Tommy, I asked the question before we went to break. Free agents that the Chiefs have let go in recent years, you know, the last six, seven years, that have really blown up in their face, um, or, or not blown up in their face as much as, like, have gone on. Players that they've let go have been really good. Tyreek Hill, obviously, is the obvious, is the very apparent answer there. That's not to say the Chiefs made the wrong decision or miss him. Clearly, they do not. They've won two Super Bowls without him. But he's been really good since they let him go. Can you think of any others off the top of your head? I think the only other one that comes to mind that he didn't really blow up because he was already really good in Kansas City. And I think he played well, I know he was injured and didn't play uh, a majority of, or not a majority, but some of the games last season for the Browns. Juan Thornhill is probably somebody that the Chiefs let walk and Cleveland signed him to a, a pretty good money deal, like a three-year deal for him. And he, I think, continued on when he was healthy 
to put up the kind of the same numbers that he did when he was in Kansas City. But really, other than that, I mean, there are a lot of players they've let walk that have gone elsewhere and haven't been able to duplicate the level of success that they had with Kansas City. You mentioned Teron Matthew in the last segment. Frank Clark is one of them as well. Um, Colin Saunders, I know that the, the Saints signed him uh, last year, and, and you know he, I don't think, really has duplicated the success that he had in Kansas City. There are others for sure, but really Thornhill would be the only one that I can think of that was able to sort of continue on when he was healthy, the same level of success he had in Kansas City. How about Charvarius Ward? I feel yeah, like he's been, yeah, that's a good one. He's been a player that's been good in San Francisco. Um, it, it's not, but again, like there's a difference in players being good somewhere and the Chiefs regretting letting them go. Uh, I, I don't know that there are good examples of regretting letting these guys go. It's very Patriots-like. Um, so... I mean, it's it's it begs you know sometimes when you and this is like an exercise for myself because I really like the idea of keeping Snead and having he and McDuffie together. You do have to sort of trust their process and how they do this. And again, like they're never going to value anything more outside of Patrick Mahomes than that offensive line. I think that's where they're going to continue to do it. Yeah, I, I I think you know I, I just that that's where I keep falling on this is this is all going to be to attack left tackle aggressively. I'm looking at Charvarius Ward's stats, and you know of course he made a Pro Bowl this year for the first time. Um, yeah, he yeah. had he had uh, you know more tackles in his time with the 49ers than he did with Kansas City. So yeah, I mean he's done more with the Niners than he did with Kansas City. So I forgot about him. I would say probably those two are the the two that stand out to me. All right, well you know I it's um. It's going to be interesting. We knew that already, but I think we're getting an early indication of how this will go with the Chiefs. We get more into that and sort of recap it as we make our way into hour number two. Uh, coming up top of the hour, we think we should have Wichita State Athletic Director Kevin Saul. I know it's been a travel day and they're on the road, so we'll try and track him down. We'll talk a little about the Shockers when we return. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. T-Mobile.com. Now, from Wichita's most listened to sports radio, 
97.5 and 1240 KFH. This is Sports Daily with Jacob Albrocht and Tommy Kester. Hey, Shocker fans, want the latest on Wichita State Athletics? Let's go right to the source with Shocker AD Kevin Saul. All right, welcome back in, everybody. We appreciate another visit from Kevin Saul, Wichita State Athletic Director, as we make our way uh, down the home stretch of the winter seasons, just getting things underway in the spring seasons. A lot of things going on. Kevin, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Jacob. How are you doing? Doing well. We're doing good. So we have a schedule change. No softball today. Uh, they were expected to play Iowa. So we'll move on there. You guys have a baseball uh, home opener. You got a game today with Oral Roberts and then a home opener coming up on Friday. Um, what did you make of that Jack's College Baseball Classic? Saw a win over Iowa. Almost had a win over ranked Virginia. A couple of ranked wins. But uh, early, it's way early. But as they get ready to come play at home for the first time, what can you tell people about what this team has looked like so far? Well, we're excited about this team. It's uh, It's been an interesting ride so far. Obviously, we opened up at Little Rock, and what folks may not know about Little Rock is they're picked to win the, the Ohio Valley Conference. They made the championship game of the tournament last year and lost to Moorhead State, who's been a perennial power in that league. And Little Rock actually ran out a preseason All-American to start that game on the mound. And so we scored, I think it was two in the first and, and three in the second and knocked their starter out. Uh, again, preseason All-American, scored 18 runs. You won the first game 18-5, second one 14-0, and then lost a really close one on Sunday. And then, as you mentioned, we went down to the, the Jacks College uh, Baseball Classic, which, Jacob, I had to laugh. Somebody referenced it as a, a regional-type atmosphere, and I'm looking at those teams that were there, number 14, Virginia. Uh, who we lost to in, in the 10th inning, 5-4, after a lengthy rain delay. Uh, Auburn, obviously from the SEC, and then number 18, Iowa, that we beat 12-6. Uh, to six. I'm wondering who the four seed in that regional would be, or even the three <laughs> seed in that regional would be. But anyway, it was a really good competitive experience for our guys. <clears throat> Certainly a little disappointed on the Virginia um, outcome because you had a chance to walk away from that weekend two and one and, and two of those wins being against number 14 Virginia and number 18 Iowa but I thought they responded really well after a tough game against uh, Auburn particularly on the mound and got down early 5-0 guys and then uh, scored went on a 12 to one run uh, from the third inning on against uh, number 18 Iowa and a really good pitching staff so uh, as you mentioned, we're at Oral Roberts midweek this week. Um, Oral Roberts has been a really quality program, so that'll be a good test. And midweek baseball is always very, very interesting. And then we open up at home on Friday at 3 o'clock. So uh, just really look forward to the next uh, few weeks of baseball. One of the challenges, Kevin, I know with bringing in a, a new coach like Brian Green is combining the newcomers that he brought in with some of the returners that have been part of the program Early on here in the season, what have you taken away from the way that this team early on has gelled? Well, I think there's been a uh, just a really good question. I appreciate you asking that, Tommy. It's there's been a real emphasis on uh, creating uh, the, the the culture and the way of doing things within the program uh, that that Brian and the staff want to see. It's it's an interesting makeup because as it stands right now, about a third of the roster are returners. As you guys know, I think we had 32 in the portal. 
last year at the end of the season, uh, we were able to get about 12 to 13 of those guys back. Um, we ended up uh, signing, and, and the guys came to campus, I think uh, 15 of the 16 uh, in the recruiting class uh, out of high school. And so you've got uh, about a third of the roster comprised of those guys. And then you've got a third that come in either from uh, junior college or the transfer portal. So Brian and the staff have spent from uh, throughout fall baseball uh, to when the guys returned in the uh, spring semester, they've spent a lot of time trying to establish the culture, the way of doing things. Practices are incredibly organized. They're upbeat. Uh, I think they've done a really good job of embracing the community as well. It's having that conversation this morning from our baseball alumni to, uh, to, to Gene uh, and Jana to, to everything that goes into Shocker baseball. I think those guys have done a really nice job of embracing that as well. So culture is always in, in progress. It's, it is what you tolerate. And so obviously there's always course corrections and, and those things. But I think they've done a nice job so far. Uh, Wichita State Athletic Director Kevin Saul joining us. We'll talk basketball in just a few minutes. Want to get caught up, though, on these spring sports that are underway. We look at softball, uh, hoping to get that chance against Iowa. The weather, uh, it's it's February in Kansas, so here we go. But So a couple of – this is an interesting season. We've talked about them a little bit before and that it will probably look different this year. Chloe Barber, though, uh, the freshman – is lighting it up. She's got a strikeout rate that is the best so far in the country. She's only allowed a couple of runs all season long, only a handful of hits as well. So we know the team's going to look different. We know the offense. It took some just unbelievable blows because of legends leaving the program. But now we got this ace pitcher brewing here. And that's a totally different dynamic, I think, for the postseason, too. How excited is everybody uh, for softball's future this year as it looks like they may have a bona fide ace to run out there? Yeah, it's been interesting, and we've talked about it. I think Coach Bredbender probably undersold her pitching staff a little bit, particularly given their the young ladies and their freshmen coming into the program. But Chloe's been unbelievable. She's been the American Athletic Conference Player of the Week. She was named the Freshman uh, National Player of the Week uh, earlier this week. So she's done an unbelievable job against some really quality programs. Um, softball has obviously went down to the Bearcat Classic um, down in uh, Huntsville, Texas. Um, had a few rainouts there, but left 2-0. and um, Went to uh, Puerto Vallarta and played kind of a, a similar type of a field that baseball just played in, in the Jacks College Baseball Classic. They've they played number eight Clemson, number 25 Auburn, and number 20 South Carolina. Walked away with a win against number 20 South Carolina. Took care of business um, at the Razorback Invitational. Beat uh, Illinois State twice. Beat UT Arlington. And then split with number 15 in the country, Arkansas. So uh, they've done a really nice job. A little ironic that uh, the, the folks from Iowa City, Iowa, would be uh, canceling their trip to Wichita uh, based on the weather, because I would think they they think we're in the south, um, <laughs> based on the weather that we have. But obviously, we head up to um, um, Lincoln, Nebraska this weekend. As you guys will remember, Nebraska was at the uh, Oklahoma State Regional in the NCAA tournament last year, and we had two very very competitive games uh, with those guys. And we so we've got two games against Nebraska and two games against number fourteen Missouri this weekend. So the schedule does not get any easier. You know, we uh, talking about 
taking the softball world by storm, not only Chloe Barber, but CeCe Wong uh, being named as the American Athletic Conference Player of the Week last week. And she's come in on a, on a team, Kevin, that we know what their offensive prowess typically is year in and year out. And she's come in as a slugger, you know, homered in her first two games as a shocker. Uh, and, you know, really kind of taking the softball world by storm, being able to be uh, that that prime offensive threat for Coach Breadbender. What have you seen from her and what she's able to bring to this team? Well, first off, she's a she's a really incredible young lady. And I think Coach Breadbender and the staff have done a remarkable job of, of recruiting and retaining quality people in our program. And uh, the, the list of examples there are endless. But uh, obviously, CC has been critical to uh, to what we've done. Uh, was recognized for her efforts as AAC Player of the Week uh, here this last week. Um, I think Coach Economon, who runs uh, the offensive uh, side of it, obviously within Coach Breadbender's structure, uh, was a little concerned going into the fall in terms of the the, the offense, to your point, um, um, Jacob, you, that you made earlier. Um, and, and I think they've done a nice job developing that offense throughout the fall. Obviously, uh, if you can combine a, a really high-quality offense with what we think we have in the circle, we're going to have a, a magical season. So uh, we look forward to where it goes and how it translates into league play and, and certainly uh, preseason pick to win the league. Now we got to go out and earn it. And I think you're seeing some nice pieces come alongside um, some others, some returners, that we can have some great success this season. Uh, Kevin Saul, Wichita State Athletic Director, joining us. Before we go to some hoops talk, Kevin, we did have a caller uh, that knew you were coming on today that asked for a quick update on Cessna uh, as state track approaches and everything else. What is the latest with Cessna? The last we heard publicly, there were some you know contract bids still to be negotiated out. Where did things stand with all the renovations out there at Cessna? Yeah, I'll keep it really simple and high level, but we did a uh, design bid build method, which is just a, a type of construction method. And, and we put it out there and we received one bid, guys. And that, that doesn't um, um, produce competitive bidding. Um, the bid was, was really high and it just did not make financial sense for us to move forward with that particular build, bid. So what we did is we changed the delivery med- method to what's called construction manager at risk. And basically involves the architecture team, construction management team on the front end uh, to help manage your way through costs. And it ensures competitive pricing at both the general contractor level, but also within all the bid packages within the project. So there may be 26 different bid packages within the Cessna project, things like site work, concrete, railings, um, sod work, uh, the, the track itself, the competitive field, those elements are all bid projects. And each one of those individually will be competitively bid within this construction manager at risk model. So um, it stands to reason that we're going to save really $2 million up off the top just from a a, a rush timeline fee with the original bid. But you're going to get that competitive pricing within each of the bid structures and your your contractor as well. So it made total financial sense. Uh, for us to do what we've done. And so we've worked very closely with the State High School Athletic Association. Uh, We are going to build out uh, the east side of Cessna for State High School track in June uh, with probably 1,500 to 2,000 bleacher seats, uh, premium and standard uh, restrooms, uh, food and concessions options. And then we're going to build out a really nice team uh, tent camp area on that east side and, and operate with what we have. And then during the interim, 
uh, that construction manager at risk process will be going on in the background, and we look to uh, to begin construction on the east side and the event level uh, sometime in the summer or early fall in preparation for next year's state high school track. Let's talk men's basketball here, Kevin. It was kind of an up-and-down week last week for the Shockers. <laughs> an incredibly complete game at home against Tulsa uh, a week ago. 22 turnovers in that win against Tulsa. And it was, I, we talked about it here on the show, just a great effort and disruption, defense, all of that. You're going after loose balls, all of that. Uh, and then on Sunday, a big, uh, big first-half lead against Temple. Shockers let it slip away, lose in overtime. Uh, there's a game tonight on the road against UAB. Where do you stand right now with only a couple of regular season games left with this program? Well, we're still trying to improve. Obviously, we've shown the ability to uh, and the capability uh, to be competitive with any everybody in our league. And unfortunately, we have uh, we have seen leads of 14 against uh, Memphis, 15 previously against Tulsa half-point lead of 10 against Tulsa um, at our place. We've seen these leads dissipate over the second half. We've talked um, at length about the, the productivity and the efficiency of this team coming out after timeouts or coming out after the first half or the second half. Where we continue to struggle is in the recognition and flow of the game. Um, obviously, there are moments where we show that we are incredibly capable. I mean, Kenny Poto just did an unbelievable job against Tulsa. Um, and that's the Kenny Poto that we need um, in, in our games to be successful. So uh, we continue to, to try to get better. And, and uh, I traveled with the team to uh, to Birmingham yesterday. I had a really good scout. Um, the, the great thing is this team is, has remained united uh, in what they're doing and certainly trying to get better. Um, I think our coaching staff have done a nice job in trying to craft and tailor the message. You may have seen a, an article this week that I thought was a really good representation of the, the value of somebody like Quincy AC on our staff. He's done a remarkable job with the players. Um, so, again, guys, just trying to continue to get better. We've got a, a great challenge uh, ahead of us tonight against UAB, who is the number one offensive and defensive rebounding team in the league right now. And, in fact, they sit 21st in the country uh, in rebounding. So uh, it'll be a great challenge for our bigs down low. We'll, you'll, you'll need to see uh, just some definite team rebounding, our guards coming back and, and, um, and grabbing those balls while our bigs are wrestling bears down below. And, and uh, it should be a great challenge for us tonight. One more, Kevin. It's been a few visits since we've talked about it as we look, and, and there's plenty of you know basketball to play. Uh, the rest of this season. And, and it's good to hear that the locker room is staying there because we want some noise in the postseason tournament, certainly. But as, as you've made your way through now more than a year, are, are do you feel good about things now in the NIL front? This goes to all sports, really, but we haven't checked in on this in a while. Are things still on the development pace that you'd like to see them in that regard in continuing to build these programs? Well, I think, Again, I think contentment is a is a dangerous word in in our our business. Um, we we've got to make sure that we we remain uncomfortable uh, in what we're doing so that we can continue to grow and build. I don't know that there's ever going to be a finish line for us from an NIL perspective in any, any of our programs because it is so critical not only in initial recruitment recruitment but in the retention as well. I think we've done a nice. I'll say we've done a nice job. And when I say we, it's really the community of, of Wichita, our players, uh, armchair strategies. We've done a nice job. Uh, when you look at basketball, I think armchairs 
uh, is is capable of distributing uh, upwards of nearly three hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year for the next three years. Uh, so certainly that's better than the zero that we started with in July of 22. But we've got to continue to grow that as well as we try to recruit and retain elite level talent. So I think in any facet of our program, uh, Jacob, it, it would be disingenuous to say that we're content and comfortable. We're going to we're going to keep pushing in all areas and, and try to get better. So we've got some I think uh, armchairs got some. Uh, very interesting plans and developments that will take shape over the next couple of weeks uh, that folks will see that will certainly advance our NIL program significantly. And uh, we look forward to those efforts and continue to be good partners. You've got the Shocker men's basketball game tonight on KYN. That pregame coverage it begins at 6 o'clock. It should be a really big-time road test, as Kevin mentioned, what UAB brings to the table. And then you've got that Oral Roberts baseball game. Wichita State, one more roadie before they have the home opener. That's right here on KFH. That pregame coverage begins at 245. Kevin, we always appreciate the visits, uh, and we'll do it again in a couple of weeks. All right, guys. Thanks so much for having us on the show. Have a great Wednesday, and go Shockers. There goes Kevin Saul, Wichita State Athletic Director. If you missed any of it, uh, you can go back and listen for free on the Odyssey app. We'll come back. Uh, Something else with the Chiefs today. They're unrolling and have now unrolled just in the last few minutes. Their plans for Arrowhead Stadium will give you a brief overview of what they're proposing when we return on Sports Daily. Sports Daily is on KFH. All right, welcome back in, everybody. Sports Daily here on a Wednesday. A lot of stuff we've been uh, navigating through. Appreciate you being here with us. If you want to win some HTO, you can call us right now. We're going to give away a free iced tea. Uh, More than 25 flavors available for you at either Wichita location or in Derby. We'll also get you a free brew house coffee card, which is good for the East Wichita or Derby location. Jad will get us a winner at 869-1240. As we make our way onto some news for Arrowhead Stadium. So the Chiefs called this Uh, basically a news conference to sort of roll out their plan for Arrowhead. Now, of course, this all still comes down to a vote, so nothing that we're saying is is approved until uh, the community votes on April 2nd whether to keep the Chiefs and Royals in Jackson County. We suspect that that will happen. Um, But the Chiefs roll out their plan for Arrowhead, Tommy. And, you know, I think the big things for fans are they're you know they're going to spend a ton of money on this thing i don't know that they gave us a dollar figure and maybe they did in their question and answer portion that i have not seen yet but the it's it's sort of as expected i think you've got major renovations happening inside just modernizations happening to the existing arrowhead i think things will look similar but be far more uh, modern in what a stadium experience is like for an NFL fan. I think the big stuff comes from, you know, if they tear down Kaufman, I assume some of these plans we're seeing, Tommy, it would it would indicate a torn down Kaufman, that a lot more outside of the stadium things are planned. You'd have more parking. You'd have an activation zone, they're calling it, tailgate areas, covered entertainment, 
uh, yeah, current site of Kaufman, so they would tear it down. So basically, you'd have some sort of activity zone in, in place probably for some live music and some fun stuff happening where Kaufman currently sits right across there from Arrowhead. That would be the biggest thing, I think, that that would be the change here, other than all the money they'll have to spend to get things up to speed and up to date. Yeah, I looked at these renderings that uh, came out uh, just a little while ago. Yeah, it, it was fine. It wasn't anything that I thought was incredible. I mean, but it, that really, I don't think, has been the point of this from the Chiefs' point of view. It's, it's really been to modernize it. It's really been to try to make that stadium a little bit more um, you know, fan friendly. Not that it's not already, but it, you know, it's been around for a long time. And there, you know, I've been to a number of games there, and you've got uh, team, or you've got fans that a lot of them that are coming in. And um, you know, sometimes the ingress and egress can be an issue, and it can get jammed up, and you know, things like that. It's not a perfect stadium. As much as I love Arrowhead, it's not in in several different capacities. And so if they can try to find some ways to, to modernize it, that's great. I had heard a bunch of different uh, opinions that, you know, they should put a roof on it, retractable roof, things like that. that that's not anything that, you know, obviously the, the Chiefs are gonna, going to invest in and, and try to do. Um, and I didn't think that even when people were suggesting that, that that would even be a possibility on the table. So I'm okay with it. The, the renderings, it wasn't like it blew me away or anything. Uh, it is what it is. If they can modernize it and if that's something that can happen, then I'm all for that. They get to stay at Arrowhead, uh, you know, assuming that all of this goes through the way that they want it to. And you get to continue to be playing in one of the greatest uh, stadiums in NFL. Yeah, look, it it all makes sense. It's probably the best path for the Chiefs. Um, I think they did this to Soldier Field in Chicago a while back. Now they're considering, I think, maybe a new state. That would be the that would be that only hesitation for me is this has to be like a permanent thing, right? This has to be long term for the foreseeable future, not a band aid situation where they ultimately end up wanting to move anyway somewhere else or downtown, whatever it might be. Like this needs to be the thing that just keeps them there. And and there's always been a difference to me between having a football stadium at this Truman Sports Complex and a baseball stadium. A football stadium you play, you know, eight games a year. It's more you don't it's not as important to have all of the other stuff there as it is for like a baseball stadium where you have just tons and tons of home games. It really is about the facility itself being fun and exciting because people just aren't out there that often in reality. So, yeah, if they utilize the space to beef up the game day experience, for, for football, there really isn't much more than the game day experience. And that game day is maybe eight, nine, ten times a year, depending on the preseason. It's just not that many dates. So, yeah, just use the space to do it. I'm fine with all of it. Like, none of it bothers me. None of it's that exciting. I mean, really. Great. They're going to have better Wi-Fi signal at yeah. the stadium. That stuff's really expensive, but who cares, right? Like, it's not going to be something that – gets us all fired up today about yeah this was not a mind-blowing announcement uh like it was when the royals have released their sure. renderings for downtown ballpark and things like that i mean looking at, at those renderings you're like oh my god like this is going to be pretty incredible if they can get it done in downtown kansas city uh for the chiefs it's more about okay this has been our home for a long time we've been out at the truman complex for a long time uh the, and they the chiefs have done renovations over the years and things like that this is just the next stage in that uh, to bring up the stadium to um, you know standards that I think most fans expect 
in this day and age. And, and I think that a lot of the things that uh, are going to be addressed, at least I would hope are addressed, are um, improvements to parking. Not necessarily that parking is bad, but getting in and out of parking lots, I think, can be an issue. You know, so making sure that that's improved, the game day experience, the tailgating, all of that, um, a, a more vibrant and not that it's, it's absolutely great. I love tailgating at Arrowhead, but there are probably always ways you can make that better. And then just getting in and out of the stadium, the amenities that are in the stadium. Um, I, it looks like there are some renderings for maybe added premium seating, club level seating. I'm not exactly sure how that all plays out, but you know, everything that they're wanting to do, I get it. It's okay. It's not anything off the walls, but it works for what they, I think their ultimate goal is to stay in Arrowhead long-term and, and you know, make that, um, you know, continue to have that be their home base for years to come. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, it is fine. Again, it's not, this isn't the reason people are going to, well, maybe it is the reason people are going to vote one way or the other because they don't want to lose the Chiefs. But the momentum is being created through what the Royals are doing. And the, the Chiefs are, probably very smartly just piggybacking that the arrowhead is one of those stadiums right you might have i mean what do we have now arrowhead lambo soldier field am i missing anyone you know are, are there am i forgetting mm, anything that's i mean probably is, it is raymond james old enough now that i'd hate to see it go but you know like i i don't know with the pirate ship and everything I think there aren't very many of these types Heinz of Field, stadiums I'd probably left. put in there in Pittsburgh. But that's new. I mean, yeah. they built that in the last 30 years. I, I just, when we think about teams and, and venues and locations, really, it's probably just those three. And even if you go, like, bigger picture in sports, and really basketball arenas don't really matter, but if you go to, like, if you think about baseball stadiums, what do we still have, Wrigley and Fenway? And yeah, that's yeah, that's pretty much it in baseball. So right. there aren't very many of Camden Yards. These. I mean, that's you know. Yeah, it was the first of the new '90s, early '90s. It was sort of the first yeah. of that grouping. So I, there is some value, I think, in holding on to that historical relevance because it's not done very often anymore. And I do think that that can become something that you know ties people to destination type stuff. I will say this, going to a game at Fenway, while it was cool that I was at a game at Fenway, was one of the worst in-game places I've ever watched a sporting event. You're sitting behind poles, your your views are obstructed. Like that that part of it, you can't. So if you're going to do that, like if you're going to continue to play, you have to give it a modern feel. And and so that's the goal with Arrowhead. They really, like, you just need to make sure Arrowhead can still host World Cup events and be a premier venue in the country. And and so probably that's as much of any of this. It's going to look the same, right? You're just, you're trying to enhance and keep up with the Joneses on game day experience type stuff. They're doing grab-and-go concessions, which... You know, you see it some venues now where you just kind of walk in and grab what you want. And you walk out. You don't have to stand in line or pay. It's weird, but it's it is what it is. Th- those are the kinds of things they got to keep up to speed on to to maintain their relevance. But other than that, I mean, the whole reason you stay there is because you don't really want anything to change, right? They're modernizing the video boards. Needed, great. Probably not going to be a huge thing that people notice, but it's something you have to do, and it's really expensive. So. 
I think this is all fine. Well, yeah. I mean, it's well, all I mean, fine. Look, the, the games I've gone to at Arrowhead, I have a blast. But because of the way that the stadium is built, uh, if I go, if I'm going to go up and go to a concession stand or go get a beer, go get a hot dog or whatever, there's a good chance I'm going to be gone for a while, even even yeah. during the game, um, just because of the way that it's all laid out. And um, it, it's not really long lines necessarily. It's just kind of the way that that whole concourse is structured. So if they can do some things to modernize that, open that up a little bit, make that you know situation a little bit quicker uh, for fans, I mean, that that's going to be an added benefit too. It, it is. It's it will be it will be a very nice thing. If this all works out, the Chiefs are big winners here because I'm sure this has a massive price tag. But the attention, it's like, hey, look over here while we do this over here. Everybody's focused on the Royals. They're they're the big, you know, they're the high profile piece of all this. But through all this, it's like the Chiefs are gonna get to do everything they want to do without all the potential negative you know, attention. Like, do you think we're really going to be focused very much on what the Chiefs are doing at Arrowhead and all of this? I don't think so. We're going to be focused on what the Royals are doing, how the price tag on the Royals, moving downtown, doing all that stuff. Meanwhile, the Chiefs will get exactly what they want in everything, which was probably to stay at Arrowhead, but get the modernization that they need to be right where they are. I get that. I'm on board with that, you know, and, and really there's been a ton of speculation about where would the Chiefs potentially go if they leave Arrowhead, if they don't return to Truman. Uh, I think that there are potentials on the table. One thing that we've dangled out there before is could they move over to the Kansas side? But really, now that they've got a plan at least and, and renovations at Arrowhead and that sort of thing, I I do believe that they can – the, the, the residents of Jackson County, I think at this point the momentum is there for the Chiefs, especially, to get something like this passed so they stay in Jackson County. I, I do think that at this point it's unlikely that they go anywhere else. Um, you know, Even if there was a possibility on the table for them to move over to the Kansas side, we're talking many, many years down the line, I would think, before something like that could happen. I just think that in this scenario, it's a win for the Chiefs it's a win for the residents of Jackson County. It's probably also a win for the Royals, I would think, as this all kind of plays out. Um, I, I just I have a hard time thinking that because of what the Chiefs put out today, that this would be something that would be voted down. It'll be fine. Uh, unrelated, mostly the NFLPA survey comes out today. I'm seeing this from Albert Breer. Uh, Breer. Andy Reid, among players, right, graded as the best head coach. Clark Hunt was graded last among owners uh, in really? that same survey, which is really interesting. He, there is, I've I've heard buzz and chatter about the Chiefs being known as a um, frugal organization. Uh, certainly, I would imagine, though, from a players' association perspective, it has something to do with what we're seeing right now with with Legarius Sneed. Like they just don't really. Lock guys into big contracts. Travis Kelsey is considered vastly underpaid. They don't pay any of their free agents. They let them go. It's very Patriots esque, right? Uh, and and so from a from an NFLPA perspective, that's probably why that is. If I'm 
if I'm in the union and I want higher salaries and all these other things, the Chiefs aren't the place that have been the poster child of that, right? Like the the biggest one they give Patrick Mahomes is considered team friendly. Travis Kelsey's underpaid. They mess they, they won't pay Chris Jones. They let all these free agents walk. I would suspect it has more to do with that. I mean, Brett Veach is considered the lowest paid GM in football. Yeah. Think about that for a second. Yeah. They win championships. I don't know what it is about, you know, Clark Hunt being able to convince, and because it does start with him, being able to convince everybody below him to, you know, not ask for a lot more money. I mean, it's it's kind of this like well, collective tell- theme of yeah. we're all going to take pay cuts because we're all going to pursue championships. And and that, you know, that's definitely interesting. The one thing about Clark Hunt that I will say is when things were really bad with the organization before Andy Reid came in. I honestly don't remember seeing Clark Hunt hardly at all. I didn't see him in the owner's box. Didn't I mean, there weren't a lot of opportunities. It wasn't like he was on the field accepting trophies. But I didn't see him a whole lot. I mean, you heard from the front office a lot. You heard from guys like Scott Pioli, who was there, and um, you know Clark Peterson and some of these other guys that were in the front office in the Herm Edwards and Todd Haley and Romeo Cornell years. But you really didn't see a whole lot of Clark Hunt, at least not to my memory. And now that I think that that was a fundamental change in the way the Hunt family runs this team, when they brought on Andy Reid, what was that, 12 years ago, 11, 12 years ago, you started seeing Clark Hunt and his family a lot more visible, taking more of a hands-on approach with the organization. And I would suggest that that has a little bit to do with their success. It's a lot of other things, as we all well know with Andy Reid and Brett Beach and the players and all of that. But I do think a little bit more of a hands-on approach has helped this organization uh, overall. Yeah. I mean, look, I'll tell you why all of it. It's because Patrick Mahomes, right? If, the, if Patrick Mahomes isn't there, players aren't taking discount. You think Travis Kelsey's taking a discount if he's not no, playing with Patrick Mahomes? Absolutely not. So you think Brett Veach uh, is comfortable being the lowest paid GM of the most successful franchise in football if Patrick Mahomes isn't his quarterback? Absolutely not. Yeah, you just think of the alternative, right? It's sometimes you just have to accept your 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 placement in these things and and Patrick Mahomes and the the ability to win and succeed makes that a little easier. Andy Reid to to some level, I think too, but listen. It is wild to imagine. Do you think, let's get this way. Do you think the the proposition or whatever on April April 2nd, do you think the the Royals are going downtown tied with the Chiefs or getting all these things? You think any of that's happening if Patrick Mahomes isn't there? Absolutely not. Not a chance. If you ever doubt the value of the players and and think about like, oh, they're so overpaid and no. They're paid that way because their value is that way. The entire region is tethered to the success Patrick Mahomes has had and is, you know, predicted will have. It is wild to think about things that way. But when you think about how much money a football player might make, even take it, sometimes this happens with coaches too. You think Nick Saban's overpaid for the impact he's had on that region and that university and everything that's going on there? You're nuts. We've gone through that exercise before. Look at enrollment at the university, right, and how much money is generated. Like, it's it's wild, the impact. And I don't know that any of this stuff happens without Patrick Mahomes. 
so again, I'm not terribly surprised to see it. I think a lot of people will because they'll just tether Clark Hunt to the success they've had. Remember that this is coming from the players, right? The players who the Chiefs continue to refuse to pay. Back to our original Chiefs conversation. It sure looks like they're going to trade Legereus Sneed rather than pay him, which they do time and time and time again. And they get the luxury to do it because they got Patrick Mahomes back there under center. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back. More Sports Daily right after this. All right, another uh, bit of breaking news here for us. Pete Thamel reporting that Lance Leipold and KU have agreed on a new contract uh, that would feature a significant raise in his average salary to more than $7 million a year. That would put him in the top three average salary in the Big 12. Uh, So the continued investment into KU football happening by the university there the bump does not include new years it's just an increase in pay essentially thamel pointing out that uh travis goff and ku have now invested 450 million dollars in football stadium and facility upgrades uh uh, upgrading the uh, on-field and support staff salaries and now of course continue uh, to try to take care of lance leipold to prevent him from going somewhere else tommy I would imagine KU fans are very excited about this news today, maybe washing away some of the disappointment in the uh, loss at home to BYU in basketball last night, but a big deal for KU. Yeah, this is big news, and and this is, again, uh, Travis Goff putting his money where his mouth is and investing in this program and in the university, not only with the new stadium, but you know, committing to Lance Leipold for more money. And I think that... The situations that happened uh, last month and, you know, after bowl season was done when Lance Leipold was the target of a couple of coaching searches, including at Washington. And there was a lot of speculation that he would take that job. And then he ultimately stayed at Kansas. I think everybody expected a new contract would be forthcoming. But the fact that it's done at this level with the amount of money, I mean, it makes Lance Leipold a top three coach in the Big 12 as far as salary is concerned. I mean, all of that. I think plays into this investment that Travis Goff is making into into football. And it's not just at the micro level. It's not just a new contract for Leipold or a new stadium. It's at the macro also in this world of conference realignment and in this world of, you know, the the haves and the have nots. One thousand percent. The University of Kansas wants to be considered as a have and not a have not. And this is another step in that. And so uh, it also continues to have him ahead, I believe, of Chris Kleiman um, in coaching salaries, I believe. You've got Mike Gundy at the top, Brett Venables, Sark there at Texas, who Leipold would jump uh, and probably, it looks like, get right where Venables is being paid at Oklahoma. Kleiman's still down there at $4.5 million, according to all the reporting there. So Kleiman's probably due a raise, too. This probably, I would, I would guess, helps his chances at getting that. Um, I don't know what level of urgency there is in that. Obviously, every place is different and all these things. But, you know, now's probably the time as you make your way through things. It, it almost intensifies, I think, Tommy, the pressure on these administrators to do this because— the the money is getting so much larger 
in these other conferences, like the continued over-the-top support of your head coaches to prevent them from making that jump has probably never been more necessary, right? Because soon, you know, the Big Ten and the SEC are going to have the ability to outbid you. So, you know, building up those good graces and things now, I, I think probably does go a long way for these guys. It does. Uh, and I get that because as far as consistency uh, and continuity, it's something that the program hasn't had in a long time. And you've got that now, and you want to maintain that. Uh, I mean, I, I remember it wasn't that long ago when there, I remember, remember reading an article about uh, a couple of, I think they were on the offense, a couple of players on the KU offense that were graduating. And in their four years, they had four different coordinators. You know, and so how are, how in the world are you going to build a program and build a culture when you have no continuity in staff? You and really, it's not just the facilities, but it is an arms race that plays into it as well. And I think that Travis Goff has been committed and dedicated to finding ways to keep continuity, and you know, not only in paying Lance Leipold, but a commitment to NIL and a commitment to facilities and things like that, where you are then making it worth his time, Lance Leipold's time, to stay at the University of Kansas as opposed to going to another program. I mean, keep in mind, Washington's moving to the Big Ten this year. And, you know, turning down a Big Ten school in today's day and age in college football is a big deal. And that's what was able to happen for Kansas. So continuity is important. Uh, You know, incoming recruits or players out of the transfer portal, they want to know that the staff that they're committing to they're going to be there, and, and this is the way that you know it's going to be for Kansas. It's a really, really solid day for this program and the next steps in the future for Kansas football. It's all momentum. It all plays in together, and it all has us excited for the next football season. Both KU and K-State in the top three of betting odds to win the Big 12 next year. Both have quarterbacks that you know, are as headline-grabbing quarterbacks as you can have. Both have the positive momentum, and it's going to be incredible, and I cannot wait for it. Uh, It has not been like this in the decade I've been here, where you're looking at two teams, you know, that we obviously follow and pay close attention to, that, you know, may be competing with each other for a Big 12 championship in a year where— They could both get into a CFP, even if they don't both obviously win a Big 12 championship. Like, there is a very real possibility that these are the best two teams in the Big 12 and that both of them could get into a CFP. That sounds crazy to say out loud, but it's not crazy. It's It's not. not. If If these two teams end up as the two top teams in the Big 12, they very much could get into the CFP, both of them. Well, how about odds right now for... Big 12 football champion next year. Kansas State is the odds-on favorite as of right now to win the conference. Utah's right behind them. And then isn't Kansas number three as far as odds are yes. concerned? I mean, it's yeah. right there. You know, and so... Now, and we've, those, are, those are things that can go sideways. But, like, let that statement roll around in your brain for a second that you could see Kansas and Kansas State both... In an expanded CFP, one is the Big 12 champion and one is an at-large with one or two losses. It could happen. It absolutely could happen yeah. in a wide-open Big 12. I think there are other teams that are loading up and, and you know will be good next year. But, I mean, even the teams coming in, 
to the Big 12 next year. Colorado, I mean, who knows what's going to happen with Dion? Arizona had a lot of momentum, but they lost their coach. So it's wide open at this point. Colorado, by the way, is like 40 to 1 with the nation's top transfer class, plus the players. You know, they were thin, but they were really talented in a couple of spots. Colorado's an interesting 40 to 1 spot, maybe, to throw a little cheddar at. But yeah, KU K State football. KU with the big news today, uh, giving a bump to Lance Leipold. We're going to come back. It's a busy day on the networks for us. We'll tell you all about it as we wrap up Sports Daily. Winter is more than half over, and things are looking... TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively... Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months.